Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, my name is John Kennedy and welcome to this special Tape Notes Best of Season 9, a season so full of amazing albums that we've decided to split this into two parts. From records born in Guatemalan caves and stories of Scooby-Doo impressions to stage-side shots with Dave Grohl and all sorts of sonic manipulation, Season 9 has taken us into studios across the world as well as the UK. We'll be looking back at a selection of our favourite highlights and memorable moments from the conversations with the incredible artists and producers we spoke to. In this part one, you'll hear from James Vincent McMorrow with Paul Epworth and Lil Silver, Imagine Dragons, Jungle, Mr. Dukes and Barney Artists, and Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. But we begin with Maisie Peters and producer Joe Rubel, who invited us over to Joe's North London studio, where parts of Maisie's debut album, You Signed Up For This, were recorded and produced. One thing I really like about this first verse is there's a Frank Ocean song. What a rogue. Uh, <laughs> what a rogue. Tidy Just reference. From me. But there's a Frank Ocean song called... Uh, it's Run With Our Sweatshirt. I think it's Super Rich Kids. And he has this verse where he does loads of internal rhymes. We are the nanny map and daddy rash and savvy snap and da da And then in this first verse... <laughs> the only link I'll ever have with Frank Ocean. It's like, <laughs> there's this really cool bit at the end that happened, happened. I was so in love and that don't come off in the wash kind of I hope it does though because you're seeing someone pretty and I hate her gut so I'll be telling you she's nice on the bus home. It's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Um, That's making me think we need to hear a rap version of this song. No. It, it this, we it, do get pretty, we get pretty close. Second verse, is, yeah. I have a lot, yeah, it's a lot of that. This is basically, this song is like my thing it's like so many lyrics and i was yeah. like having a the even best the time of my life yeah it's super wordy there's so many rhymes there's so many like little clever bits ellen's on it ellen my sister's on it i go six girls in alphabet road five one do you think that i'll grow anymore no that's, that's probably, probably it. it i guess ellen was right yeah she usually is and that's my twin sister so then i got ellen uh we called her and she doesn't do music at all she's at university and i was like ellen you need to say no down the phone yeah. you just send me no she's so funny because she's very like confident and bolshy and truly very hilarious but i asked her to do this very simple just like just say no and she was like oh, okay and then she like sent us loads of options do you remember and yeah, she was like i don't know if this is right but like i hope it knows. is yeah yeah <laughs> and then i was like ellen it's great you really performed so is that her no then it's her you? no mm-hmm. yeah do you want Could, to hear it yeah yeah i, I think we yeah. should hear all Get those different elements ellen in, in her time in the sun yeah she'll love this here's ellen Oh, no, that, no, some of that's, that's me. Oh, but. no, that is all you. Here's Ellen. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> was this the Postal Service one? Yeah. Yeah. That was more like second chorus, I guess. Yeah. By Postal Service one, you mean like the band Postal Service? Well, it's not really, doesn't sound like a Postal yeah. Service song. But the, but I was like, there's like a, so the district sleeps alone tonight. It's, there's like a, a fizzy bass in it. And I was like, that's got to be it. I remember I added it. And you and John were like, thank you. <laughs> John was like, thank God. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so good. Um, let me find it. They're not a band you hear mentioned much these days, Postal Service. They should be mentioned way more. 
I made this beat basically for the second chorus. And for some reason that to my head is postal service. Which I don't think actually does sound like that, much like postal service. But I was like that with the bass on top sounds. In contrast to, you know, in contrast to the other folky elements that you got on top. I, like, I quite like sort of like sneaking bits in that you yeah. wouldn't expect in a, in a sort of like more acoustic song. Yeah. I love the music that I make and I love this album. And I always joke that this is my favorite ever album, um, which is a big sentence because um, <laughs> really rumors exist. But I argue that this is my favorite ever album. But I think it says a lot about someone when you ask another artist, they'll be like, oh, I'm putting out an EP. And I'm like, is it good? And I think the most like sustainable artists or the, the people that are going to do the best things and work for the longest and have the best time doing it are the people who go, yes, it's really fucking good. Mm -hmm. And I think that you need to think that about the music that you make. Sometimes that's difficult, isn't it? It is. Because you've got I, to make some yes. rubbish to get to the point where you're happy with it. You do. And that's fine as well. Like, also, you can think you love something and then two weeks later you're like, oh, something like that, it's fine. And that's so, you know, I'm not saying I love everything I've ever done. I've written hundreds and hundreds of songs that will never come out that I think are fine. But it's about, I guess, like, when you're committing to something, be it a song or an album or an EP or whatever it is you're putting out, when you're doing it, you need to think that it's the best thing that could have ever been done. And then it probably won't be, but I think you need to think that. The irrepressible, quick-thinking and fast-talking Maisie Peters. Now we turn back to a conversation that took place in 2020 for our episode with Irish singer-songwriter James Vincent McMorrow and producers Paul Epworth and Lil Silver, otherwise known as TJ. Talking through the long-awaited fifth album, Grapefruit Season, I joined Paul at his studio, The Church in North London, while James dialed in from Dublin and TJ from Margate. James and Paul start us off looking back on their relationship and some general rules when starting to work with someone new. Genuinely. <laughs> the jam, yeah, for yeah. three hours. It just blew my mind because I was like, why the fuck is Paul Epper jamming with me? Like, this is, doesn't happen. Why? He can't play anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, like, what, he did that one note really, really well. Yeah. The whole time, for like probably the first five or six months that we were friends and we were working together in my mind every now and then, I would just be like, oh, this motherfucker has an Oscar. Like, it just, you just, like, he doesn't have the Oscar in the studio or anything. I need to be very clear. But I was like, at one point, I just was like, bro, like, where's the Oscar like you have it somewhere legit right but it's just you came in with such spirit for making music with me oh, that wasn't yeah, that's necessary what it's about, isn't it but everything else is bullshit yeah but you, you say know? that but like you know a lot of people don't bring that energy like I've come in the studio with some people sometimes and they can be big fans of mine and they're still like this is what I do and this is what you get and that's the transaction and you <laughs> sausage factory yeah I'm but not. a little bit and it, it, you know that that exists yeah, and I know everything, it every artist needs something different yeah but if you come in with openness and vulnerability and enthusiasm and you love the music, then people feel that and they yeah. suddenly go, oh, that's all right. I can be myself and I can, and I, and we can try things that might be wrong and we can take risks and we can kind of, and it's fun. So that's Joe Reeves. That's Joe. So that was where I was at, <laughs> at that point in the song's journey. Yeah. And I became obsessed with that guitar solo. Like, 
I would play it for people and they would be like, all right, what are you thinking? And I just felt like, fuck, it needs to have this thing. And I, the snare sample that I found was just like some like Kanye thing. I just was on some vibe. I don't know what it was, but that was the first moment where I was like, I've got it. And I played it for people and it was just like, eh. there wasn't the reaction that I was expecting. And I, I, like I said earlier, I'm belligerent. And I was just like, you're wrong. This is the version. Like this guitar solo is so fucking cool but like you have to find people in your life that speak to you on these like like those brian eno levels you know when you know people worship at the altar of brian eno because it's like it's not minimalism it's like what's the point of what you're doing you know what's the purpose yeah that's cool that you're doing that but who gives a shit (laughs) no one's coming to me like all the best will in the world no one's coming to my records to hear a guitar solo like and while i love that I had to move past that point of thinking like, oh, fuck you all. You're all wrong. And thinking, okay, well, what's the point of this song? Like it needs to land. I need to hit in a way that like serves me as a singer and serves me as a producer, serves me as a writer, all these different things, but mainly serves the public in a way that they understand. I think this album more than anything I've ever made, the symbiotic nature of the back and forth between me and an audience has become more apparent to me. I'm pretty sure I like I free soloed over like a bongo at one point for some nonsensical reason, which is in the outro. So there's there's a lot of uh, fucking. Wild here we go. Shit it's the there. world's smallest hand drum. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it actually is like it's about this big, and you have to play it like hunt, you have to put it between your legs, <laughs> play it with two fingers. But even your fingers are probably too big to play it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds like sort of some legendary Darbuka player. Yeah. And completely contrary <laughs> to like what I like, I grew up <laughs> with like all of my friends in school listening to like Jack Johnson and sitting in drum circles. So I developed a dislike for it <laughs> that is quite like quite no, strong. There was a powerful. But if I'm going to play a tiny drum, yeah. I'm going to make it sound good. for me to start making records because it just like takes a box for me seemed completely counterintuitive and it was 85 was my Brian Eno in those processes when I made the third album I would throw ideas at him and he's like why why do you need to do that like if you've made your point back slowly out of the room and be grateful like that you've made your point sitting there trying to like ice the cake after you've iced it 10 times no one likes that much icing it's ridiculous so his voice rings in my head like a bell when I'm doing stuff like that the ever-evolving and absolutely lovely James Vincent McMorrow. And now for our next highlight, we go to Vegas, baby, but sadly not in person. We linked into the Las Vegas home studios of Imagine Dragons Dan and Wayne, who shine a light on the deeply personal nature of the tracks that make up their new album, Mercury Act One. With several of their hundreds of demos to hand, the pair showed us just how creative you can get with your voice and a playful attitude to the supposed science of recording. We pick up at the moment they entered the studio for the first time with executive producer Rick Rubin. We got into the studio with Rick Rubin. He said, do we have anything you guys want to start with? Do you have any songs that we, or do you want to jam it out together? And we were like, no, we have, I think we said, we have a lot of songs. He said, send me all of them. I said, well, it's hundreds of songs. He said, wait, what are you talking about? So we have hundreds of songs. This is is the process and kind of explained it to him. He said, well, send me all of them. I said, okay, well, I'm not going to send you all of them. We'll send you 70. (laughs) So then we sent Rick (laughs) 70 songs 
And he listened to all of them and within a week responded with comments on every single song. And he was really spot on and had a lot of interesting thoughts. And that's when we both decided together, let's do this record together. And that's kind of how the process happened. Yeah. And then when we got into the studio, we all talked and we gravitated towards about 30 songs that we all liked. And we got there actually by him having us play the majority of those songs on just an acoustic guitar and me singing or a piano and me singing. That way to differentiate, okay, is it the production that we like about this or is this actually a good song? And then uh, a lot of songs got chopped off from there or actually made the cut that we didn't think would make the cut because suddenly we saw, wow, there's something actually really cool here. And the production wasn't serving it well. So that was the first thing that Rick brought to the table was deconstruct everything from a very bare bone, basic melody, chord progression, period. Can it stand with that? If not, it's gone. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, but maybe I'm wrongly curious of what that vocal actually sounds like without the effect on it that's doing that guitar thing. <laughs> My pleasure. So there's the guitar that's doing the and then there's also I also kept the guitar that does the that's basically me going chicka -baka, chicka -baka -baka. so here's everything without I think the, this is a mistake actually maybe we don't need to investigate this <laughs> I, th I think we definitely should I think we've come this far <laughs> oh what was that play that again please <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Scooby-Doo like or something. It's like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> but then, you know, a little bit of plugins and a little... <laughs> yeah, it sounds cool. After, yeah. Sounds amazing. Nothing is right. I have to talk about Dan's vocal here for the chorus. So one of the notes we got from like, you know, people that we showed it to, like there were, you know, mixers or whoever was like, wow, can you send me a version without that distortion on the vocal? <laughs> and I always said no, because Dan purposefully, he has a Neve 1073 at home and he just blasted the thing. He completely clipped it. And so I love the way it sounded. And so I, I never wanted to redo it, but if you solo it, it, this is what Dan sent me with nothing on it. I mean, it was pretty much there already. All I did was add a little bit of black box saturation to it, and I, I basically just mixed in some reverb and delay toward the end of phrases that's really, really subtle. So it's all together, it sounds like this with all the processing on it. This is one of my favorite songs on the record because it just embodies depression for me. Like it's like this numb, and I've I, you know I've been really vocal about this for a long time, and I think I'm I really am a proponent of mental health and speaking openly about these things because I think all of our kids should be in therapy. Personally, that's my thought. So for me, 
When I first experienced depression in middle school, I didn't understand. I'd always thought depression was just when someone said they were sad. And I was like, okay, well, everybody's sad, you know? And then when I really first experienced it, when I was about 15 years old, 14 years old, it was numb. It was gray. Everything I liked before had no meaning to me. Every conversation felt like an echo chamber, like I couldn't even focus, like this grayness. And it just felt like just dying slowly from like a spoon. And so for me, this song, and one of the things that Asia pushed me to identify was to really go and identify what it felt like and try to put it into music. The amazingly candid Dan Reynolds of Imagine Dragons there. Thanks to Dan for being so open and forthcoming. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with highlights from Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, Mr. Dukes and Barney Artist, as well as some epic demos from Jungle. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labeling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers, and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organize set lists, and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favorite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favor. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. This episode is supported by Museversal, an amazing new service for working with session musicians remotely. If you use session musicians or would like to, but it's been too expensive or hard to organize, this is for you. And we have a special offer for any Tape Notes listeners, 25% off for the first three months, and you get to skip the wait list. But more on that in a moment. I've got David from Museversal here to tell us all about it. Hello, David. What is Museversal? Hey, John, thank you so much for having us on here. Appreciate it a ton. Museversal is an online remote recording studio for artists, producers, composers, anyone who's a music creator to work with session musicians remotely. In a couple of clicks, you can go on and you can book a session with a drummer or a guitar player, a piano player, you name it, they're on the platform. And so the way that it works is all of the sessions are hosted over live stream. So all of the, you know, 
revisions and feedback and all of the different little, you know, hey, um, would you mind, you know, moving to the ride symbol for the fourth bar? Or would you mind, you know, finger plucking instead of using a pick? You know, all of those types of creative choices can happen quite literally as if the musician is in the room just done over live stream. Yeah. It sounds amazing. And in a way, the clue is in the name, Musiversal. It means that whether you're a beginner or whether you're somebody with a lot of experience, you can still get access to the same kind of level of musicianship and creativity. Yeah, it's amazing because it allows the music to have expression on it and musicianship that, you know, if I'm sitting in my basement playing piano versus a piano player that's played for, you know, Jay-Z or has been playing for 25 plus years, the material that comes out of that is going to sound night and day. What does it cost? So the service is $200 a month US and included in that is all of the sessions. So there's no additional fees or anything. You know, you get to book as many sessions as you can have per month. To put it in perspective, the average user probably books about five to seven sessions per month. But we actually have some users booking 10, 12, 15 sessions per month. So I mean, you can do the math on 200. The, the deal really is awesome. And it, it allows people to work with incredible musicians and, and, you know, not break the bank. It sounds great. Can you remind us what the offer is for Take Notes listeners? Well, look, we're so thankful um, that you guys are having us on here. What we would love to do is offer 25% off per month for their first three months. And then the other cool part is they get to skip our wait list. So, you know, we usually run a wait list. It's about two weeks long. But in this case, you know, finding us through this episode, you could have a session as early as tomorrow. Fantastic. And to get the offer, all you have to do is find the link in any of our recent episode show notes. David, thank you so much for speaking to us. And maybe one day we'll be talking about a piece of music that's been created using Musiversal. That would be incredible. We cannot wait for that day. Next up, we turn to a man that forms one half of the brain behind electronic music project Jungle, Josh Lloyd Watson. Getting lost in the wealth of sounds that went into their album Loving in Stereo, we indulge in everything from layering instruments through to feeling music outside of your head. Here's Josh talking us through the initial 20-minute version of Keep Moving. So around the same time I was making Cosmos, I was doing this 20-minute this version of Keep Moving, which is... The whole point of it was to kind of take that hook and reimagine the song as many times as I physically could within like the parameters, just to see what you get out of it. And that opens up the door for whole new parts to come out, whole new vibes, whole new arrangements. And we ended up with this sort of 20 minute version, which has kind of got the hook, but you can hear it. You're just mucking around, you know. Doing little things, kind of just building that up and seeing where I can get with it. And then every so often it would switch. Just trying to change the chords, you know, yeah. just to see where, where the harmony would take you, you know. And there's actually some cool versions in here. In terms of your analysis, you've got to really analyze these things and, and take them apart and using your two minds, mm. you know, bouncing each other off each other to work out which bits work and which bits work for what you're trying to achieve. And I guess part of the problem is trying to work out what you're trying to achieve. 100%. Yeah, I think, um, you know, even with that 25 minute version, whatever it is, it's, 
you have to leave the editor out of that process. That that's like anything's possible. We're not going to judge it, and I think that that's really important if you're making music to just kind of get lost in it and then come back to it and be like, well, is this good or bad? I think it's that thing of being able to put anything down and also accepting the first thing that comes to you. I think that you know I've struggled in the past, and something that I've learned is that when when an idea comes to you, if you judge it and go, no, nah, that's not good enough, you put up this negative block, which basically closes the door on any other ideas coming through and it, it really really sort of stops that flow that natural flow so you almost have to get everything that's coming out to come out and then it kind of creates this river and i think you kind of see it in the studio you know sometimes you can work with people and they'll be like oh it's not right it's not right now it's like well we're never going to get anything and i think that's again going back to the kind of the idea of how this record is was made and, and what we wanted from it was that just to let the natural flow happen never to block it For me, it's like trying to take one sound and then layering it in a way that just means it's still one part, but you're not sure what it is. If you take the guitar and you add like a profit, you know, three times, so you take this part here, which is just the synth doing it. And you add that to the guitar. And then you add the brass in, which soloed gives it this kind of warmth. And then you add a little flute into that. Then you kind of get them all playing together. It starts to kind of blend into one. One sound for us. Yeah. Which, which keeps the simplicity of it. Be but, like, what? Well, what is it? I don't know what it is. You know, is it a guitar? Is it a thing? Yeah. I mean, the one bit of advice that I think works really well is, is not to overthink it, you know. It's really easy to get stuck in and not, not to be scared of it. I think fear will hold you back in anything in life. I think it's almost life advice more than anything, you know. Fear will stop you from living out your true potential. It will keep you in a box. And for me, I think it's about not overthinking it and just getting it done, actually doing something about it is, is you know, your life is in your own hands and... If you want to make a track, you can't just think it out. And it's something that I got taught in, in I did this psychotherapist session and I just did a one-off one and, and he kind of opened my mind to something that I'd spent my whole life struggling with. You know, I came from sort of a kind of broken family and um, kind of troubles at home in that way. And I think when you come from a broken family, you, you tend to kind of go up in your head and you tend to kind of, from an early age, think you can fix the problems by thinking about them. and. What he said to me was, you need to, we need to get you out of your head and into your body. And it's kind of a spiritual thing, but it's true. It's like you can end up overthinking things rather than just feeling and being them. And I think this what this whole record Loving and Stereo is about. It's coming out of your head and into your body and trying to feel things. So my advice to people is feel it, don't think it. What a fantastic piece of advice. Feel it, don't think it. I want it on a T-shirt soon. Thank you, Josh, for that. For our next highlight, two worlds come together in the collaboration project between producer Mr Dukes, otherwise known as Bombay Bicycle Club's Jack Steadman, and rapper Barney Artist for their album The Locket. As well as pulling apart Jack's sampling process, the pair share their thoughts on change in the world and what they look for in a collaborator. But we begin with Jack inadvertently creating a football chant from a 70s funk track. 
So what are we listening to? Who is that? So this is Dancers Inferno, and the track is called Badinage from 1975. And again, I can't remember how I found it. It wasn't, you know, some romantic old record shop in New Orleans or something. Yeah, when you were crate digging. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely YouTube algorithm. (laughs) Handed to me on a plate late at night, and I can't remember finding it. But it's a really interesting sound. And I think if I play you what I've done, I've just basically taken that melody, which you can hear in there, but just altered it slightly. So... So that's the first half of that is from the track, and then to continue the melody, I've actually just reversed it. So it's it plays once forwards, and then it plays again in reverse, and then reverse. So it's like sort of putting the record anti-clockwise, yeah, and it makes a whole new melody, which it's turned out against all odds to be quite catchy <laughs> when we play it live turns almost into like a football chant and everyone's like duh, 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 duh. <laughs> Jack, a little bit of Jack died inside when I, it first happened I always have to hide my face when we're on stage and like look to the side because if people saw my face just the thought of this this sample and that track turning, turning into like not in like a me being a, like pretentious or anything I just find it hilarious I just start laughing one of the most important things about rapping is, is understanding when to do certain things, when to be super duper lyrical, when to take it back and have space. And I think this one was very much a, I'm riding the beat like constantly, like, I'm not stopping, like, I just keep going and going and going. And then we have that beautiful bliss moment when a chorus comes in, which is the, the melody. And I think that's what's cool about the song is that it's me driving like really, really fast and then we have that beautiful gap where everyone kind of like sing along and just have a good time whatever which gives me a breather and then I go straight back in again um, and so yeah this one is like just a real hip hop tune some of the best things I love about MCing which is you know being aggressive with it being playful with it having charisma and all that kind of stuff yeah, so, yeah. yeah. open up your mind what's it like sampling something that you love so dearly I mean that's kind of tricky <laughs> because you're changing yeah. it it's not as bad as learning how to play something that you love. I always would, like, if it was a song I really loved, I wouldn't learn it on the guitar because you instantly, when you hear it, start visualizing the guitar strings or the piano. Mm. But sampling, you, you've kind of just manipulated it a bit. Mm. Um, you kind of have to treat it with a bit more respect, I suppose. Like with this, I wanted the opening just to, for you to hear it. Like I didn't want to chop it up too much. Mm. And then it's once Barney comes in, you obviously can't have two voices competing. So. Basically, I just tried to find within that small sample the spaces where he isn't actually singing and it's maybe just one note, so I can demonstrate that. Mm. Yeah, that would be great. This is the full sample. And then you loop it one more time. And just loop it there. So you're getting more of the brass and just one note of him singing. There's actually no words in it, so Barney can rap over it. And then it just changes chords kind of triumphantly. Yeah. I wish people got the opportunity to communicate with other people from different walks of life, because I think that's where change happens. I think that's where friendships are, are, are born. And London is very fast and speedy and... 
can be quite lonely at times because everyone kind of stays within their own bubbles. And what's great about this is that we're kind of like two worlds colliding and we're literally a part of each other's families. Like he's met my mum, my mum loves him. I've met his dad and mum and they love me. And, and I think that's what's beautiful about the record. So the reason why the record's called The Locket is because we wanted to have something about you know, it's about memories. And I think this album was made in such a dark time, but there's so much positivity and love. And so whenever we listen to this, it's always going to remind us of that time where mm. we kind of, you know, started this beautiful friendship, like a locket would, and you put memories in that locket. And so this kind of title track kind of summarises that with it. I love that explanation from Barney Artists, and I can't wait for more from the two of them. Amazing stuff. Now, we head to Baltic Studios and our conversation with Frank Carter and Dean Richardson of Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. With Dean being the sole occupant of the producer's chair for the first time, we were given a full insight into the methods and minds behind the band's latest record, Sticky. To start us off, the pair reflect on the competitive nature of music and how one of the world's biggest bands uses it to their advantage. You go on tour with the Foos and, like, if you're lucky enough, you chat to Dave afterwards and he sit down and tell you, like... You don't just get to tour with the Foos if, if it's lined up musically. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, they bring bands on tour to make them work harder. Yeah, pressure They've played yeah. so many shows and they go and they stand and they watch those support bands every night. You turn around, you're guaranteed to see the Foo Fighters watching you play, mm. which is mental, by the way. I'm just going to say that. It's <laughs> crazy. But you just play and then you come off and he's like, cool, I'm ready now. Thank mm. you. And that's how I feel with collaborations, but particularly with Lynx, I'm like... I've said thank you to him so many times because I'm like, that was inspiration that I didn't know that I, I needed. But I'm mm. now like, I'm switched back on to music and to writing and to lyrics in a way that was, it was lost to me somehow. And I don't know when or how or why. You're touching on the kind of like the competitive nature of being an artist that isn't unhealthy. The bit that's yeah. like, it, it's sort of inspiration, but it is competitive. Like with what you're saying with Dave is he wanted someone to try and out do him so that he can go no watch this like, he's got that in him in the nicest way possible yeah, yeah, totally. there's still this like ruthlessness to like it's something to prove it's I think why people make music and make art is they're trying to prove something to someone to themselves or whatever and I think when you start collaborating and getting in the studio it's like someone does something really good and you're like well no I'm, I should be here as well mm. I think mean, we'd not had that sort of energy amongst the writing process of a record because the guests were very spread out so I think Mm. they sort of lay in that thing where you're like okay now I've got to do something new and that's the danger and... though of doing it remotely because mm. you've got no way of like stepping in and tripping them yeah. up if they're getting a <laughs> Dave, Dave Gold will, will, will literally bring a tray of shots to you mid set yeah. and make you do them do you know what I mean if you're, right. if you're carrying to on, slow you down yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then he, he turned around at, we were on tour with him for a little bit and he turned around at Reading and I was just stood there mm. on the main stage with a shot of a tray of vodka and he was like oh yeah, <laughs> he, he, he had to come yeah. and do it. Yeah. Have we done a show since? Did yeah. we go too far? With no, that? yeah, maybe. Did, yeah, well, across the line there. <laughs> when are you coming to get a tattoo? I was like, man, how I've been trying to write this verse for <laughs> fifteen years, and you've just walked in and done it. Like, so I was like, it's got to be links. At least put it to links and see what he comes back with. Mm. It's two a.m. Fuck it, I'm getting a tattoo. I was like. I ain't even fucking... Stick and poke out your commitment like, issues. Man, I was like, <laughs> God damn, this kid doesn't even have a tattoo and he's yeah, writing yeah. about tattoos better than me. Mm. <laughs> and I own two tattoo shops. Like, mm. Lynx just gets it. And lyrically, I hope like he finds time to like carve more of that out for him, you mm. know, in his songs. Because pop, a lot of the time, like you said, it's about the whole hook. 
But if you give Links some room, what you will get is genius. Like, and I, I'm just desperate for him him to write like more and more and more and mm. more and more. Like, cause I just, I just want to hear it. Yeah. And the only other element didn't play was just the sax, which we should, cause it's my favorite bit. <laughs> this is in the chorus. And who's playing this? This is Yasmin. And it's actually like altar boy down. So using little altar boy. And we wanted it in the choruses not to sound too much like sax. And then all the bits in the verses are left. And there's like a decapitator on it, like most of our layers. <laughs> we're just sitting here cheering, you know, yeah. she was just cracking up. She's everything like, she did, we were like, more to... of that. She yeah. was like, more of what? We're just like, keep doing it. I'll yeah, show you. Um, it's quite interesting to hear it with no processing on those. So this is the stuff in the like mid eight before we processed it. And if I play the same thing and slowly bring in the, so this is it with the altar boy and then decapitator and then all the kind of room effects. And so it kind of gets a bit more soundscapey. I can't play any instruments. I don't know anything about music theory. I know a lot about performance. I could talk about performance and like, I could talk about confidence on stage and really sending something so it's believable. I could talk about writing about who you are and what you know and going deeper than anyone else will. I can talk about bravery. Buck knows what a C chord is. I, <laughs> I, I can't give you that information. Do you know what I mean? Like, But that's why when you find someone that just who understands it, but who is also like sympathetic to the sensitivity that I have around surrounding that, like having a career in music as long as I do and not knowing which is C, that creates an enormous amount of imposter syndrome. Do you mm. know what I mean? Because you're like, should I be doing this? And there's like performers, there's entertainers and there's musicians. I describe myself as a musician because that's what's on <laughs> the drop-down forms that you have to collect. That's on the census. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and every time I'll do it, I'm like, oh. Because like, mm. at some point I'm gonna, I'm expecting them to be like, right, play Moonlight Sonata. <laughs> so I've started learning it now. Like that's what I spent my last works, cabin but... trip. I'm like, I'm gonna learn this fucking thing. Mm. So that if I ever have to get called up on the grand piano, I'm gonna do it, do you know what <laughs> I mean? I'm about 65 seconds in, man. It's, that shit's hard. <laughs> it's like, I just wanna sing. <laughs> Frank Carter on Grand Piano. I think that's a beautiful vision for us to look forward to at some point. Fingers crossed. And that's it for part one of our highlights from season nine. Thank you very much for listening. If this taster has whet your appetite, then there's plenty more musical goodness within the full episodes. So do make sure to give them a listen if you haven't already. And of course, listen to part two, full of tales of forgotten songs, sounds processed through caves and a take on workspace rules that might just be the key to keeping productive. But for now, we'll leave you with a final thought from Dan of Imagine Dragons and his method of sifting for gold. Is my whole embodiment of creation, my goal of any time I sit down in this room is I have something in my head and the quicker my download, my upload rate is, the better the whole process is. The more I think about it, the more I'm trying to achieve something that I hear, the more lost in translation it gets. I want to 
take this feeling that I have right now and capture it as quickly as I can. It's like catching a butterfly. And by the way, they're not all butterflies. The majority of the time, I'm like catching a rock. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and I like catch it and I'm like, well, that sucked. Well, great. Well, good job. Like throw it into the rock bucket. And that's like 95% of this. And I'm okay with that because I'm doing it for me. Blast upon the fence. Tell me where's the sense is Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Baby, you're not broken, just a little bit confused. It's